We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Well, some of the scariest or most overwhelming or life-draining moments in my life have been those moments where I've been alone. I recall moving to Queensland eight odd years ago and all my mates were in Sydney. I've mentioned this before. I didn't know any guys up here. It was 18 months in and the church that I had birthed three years earlier online had lost steam and had finished up and I was cleaning bathrooms to keep financially above head, my head above water. I felt like I had failed. I was questioning my competence as a leader and I didn't know if I was gonna get another shot or not of being part of a vibrant, growing, dynamic team in a church again. And I recall bursting into tears in my car. I was driving by myself one day, feeling very overwhelmed and alone. I remember early December, two and a half years ago, when I pulled my kids into the car as they drove off in their mum's car. And I went back inside and sat on the steps and bursting into tears feeling very overwhelmed and alone. And both of those times, if you had asked me if I was afraid, I would have said, no, I'm just sad. But now years on with reflection, underlying those fears, underlying that sadness was fear. Plenty of fears. Fear about my future, fear about the unknown, fear about my influence on my children, fear about who I was, how people would perceive me, my finances, my retirement, fear of being alone, fear about things that I couldn't control but I desperately wanted to. And when you are alone, fear can be overwhelming. And I imagine for those of you who are alone, or maybe you feel alone even in the middle of a crowd, you get what I mean. You understand the overwhelming emotional struggle that you feel at times when you're processing hard stuff on your own or you're moving through tough seasons on your own. How to make it to the other side on your own. It can be exhausting. I also recall being in genuinely dangerous situations where it was life and death but being in it with somebody else dissipated the fear. Again, I've mentioned before that I used to do lots of canyoning, abseiling down waterfalls, into creeks, through ravines, in the water, finding a way out and then back out. And inherently, it's dangerous. Things can go wrong, especially if you're unprepared. Rising water and rainfall can be unpredictable. I recall three situations in particular where I could have spent a wet evening night in a canyon. Once ropes got stuck 30 metres up a cliff and we were on the fifth jump out of nine. Four up, four down. Someone had to clamber back up to unhook the rope 30 metres above. Another was when it was getting dark, my first canyon. We just jumped in a creek, we got lost. Another time I remember I was with my brother in a canyon, rained a few days before, but we just thought it would be okay, except the water was still coming halfway down the canyon. We realised it was too much. We had to turn back. It wasn't easy to turn back. 
And even although, even though those three times were potentially dangerous situations, I was never actually fearful because I wasn't alone. I knew the burden of figuring out a way forward wasn't just on my shoulders, it was on our shoulders. And we could mutually encourage each other towards a workable solution and a way out. Here's my point. I think that's how the church is supposed to be. I think the local church is supposed to be a band of brothers and sisters who ventured out on life's journey, a faith journey together with its twists and its turns that can make you feel isolated and alone and even fearful. But when you turn to your right and you turn to your left, there's someone in the canyon with you. Not just watching from the cliff tops, but someone in there navigating alongside you. And in that moment, fear dissipates. I think that's why I love the Acts chapter 2 passage. Because for me, it shows a band of brothers and sisters in how they do community dissipate fear goes like this, Acts chapter 2. You can read it along in the app, version app. Just press on the life point. You'll see it all there. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, it may seem like a lifetime ago, but it wasn't much more than 12 months ago that we were locked in our homes, unable to live life at the rocket pace that you and I used to live. The brakes were on. And instead of navigating no time, we were navigating extra time. To to many of us that lived cracking pace of life, there was something beautiful about the simplicity of lockdown where the hurriedness of event-based life was stripped back to just relationships. Family, extended family, the few people that we could have over from time to time, that unhurried time with family and friends was like gold because something beautiful happens in relationship when there's unhurried time together. Being in the presence of people with no agenda, no goal or schedule or outcome except being. And out of that being in the presence of each other can birth knowing. And out of knowing can birth love. Being, knowing, love. From time to time, I say to people, I can only love you as well as I know you. As deeply as I know the things going on in your world is the level to which my love can rise. If I don't know it, then I can't love you to that level. Here in the New Testament, people were spending copious amounts of time being. Unhurried time. Some of it was spent in the temple courts worshipping every day. Sometimes was spent in their homes sharing in communion like we did today. 
And other times was just having people over for meals. But one thing that sticks out of that passage in Acts chapter two is time and time again, the people in the New Testament church, whether it was cultural or not, they were spending copious amounts of unhurried time together. It's like they took culture and they put steroids in it and they worked from the heart and the soul and not just through because they had to. There is so much power in unharried time with people that can dispel fear. Have you ever sat across from someone and as you share your burden, they lean in? I mean, really lean in. It's not like they're hearing your words, they're hearing your soul. And as you share and you just a little bit more and a little bit more, it's like their eyes are seeing straight through you. They're seeing into the very depths of you as you share your burden. Just unhurried time, allowing them to know you. It's scary, isn't it, sometimes allowing people to know you, to know the fears, the worries, the concerns, the anxieties. No one wants to come up as a fruit loop. No one wants to be seen as weak. Oh, it's that person again. We so don't like people knowing us. But on the other hand, we deeply want people to know us. And when someone sits across from us and gives us unhurried time and leans in, something just wants to come out and go, Can I allow you to know me? Because instinctively, I believe, we know that when someone knows us, they can love us. But when we board up, it's hard for anyone to love us. In that moment, your circumstance may not change. In that moment, that other person may not be able to click their fingers or wave a wand and do anything about what's going on in your life. But something very powerful happened. They no longer feel alone. Someone was in the Kenyan with them. Someone knows what's going on. Someone heard, someone felt, someone teared up, someone smiled, someone laughed, someone knew, someone knew. And I'm not so alone. It makes sense why God repeatedly reminded His people that they weren't alone. Remember Dave, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the darkest of valleys, I will feel no evil. Why? Because there's someone there with me. Or in Isaiah chapter 41, do not fear because I am with you, says God. Matthew 28, Jesus says to His disciples, and surely I am gonna be with you to the very end of the age. There's something powerful when someone says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm in the canon with you. The other person doesn't have the power to raise the dead. They don't have the power to make someone fall in love with you. They can't mend a broken relationship. They don't have the power of God at their fingertips, but they have phenomenal power in listening. Phenomenal power in giving you and me the gift of unhurried time that in that moment somehow God ordained dispels 
fear simply by knowing you're not alone. I get it. Life is full. Life is full and there are relationships that demand and deserve priority of your time. But here's a helpful image. Each day you potentially have five meals. Breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea, and then dinner. Over a week, that's 35 meals that you have. Is there one or some of those meals that you can give as a gift to someone as unhurried time? One out of 35, more out of 35. A coffee before your day gets going, morning tea or afternoon tea before between activities or responsibilities, slow lunch or dinner. You cannot and you should not underestimate the power of unhurried time. It's a gift. It's a gift that powerfully transforms lives when they know they no longer are alone even though you may not be able to fix it. And spending unhurried time with someone will invariably lead to knowing someone. And look what happens in the New Testament church when they knew each other. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. I remember an older person once telling me in the church that I grew up, AB, Andrew, as I was known then, never forget the smell of poverty. It was in the context of a conversation about caring for people who were in need. And he didn't need to elaborate much. I understood what he's trying to communicate. Compassion is birthed and nurtured in the soil of proximity. You see, when we are close to to people in need, our hearts are moved. When we're distanced from people in need, it's harder for our hearts to be moved. We see it on TV all the time. All these adverts trying to move us by putting us in proximity, but it doesn't work the same, to smelling poverty. You see, we see with Jesus, these disciples and Jesus are in the boat. They're crossing from one side of the lake to the other. They had a busy time. Disciples needed a break. They say, Jesus, let's go to the other side. They jump in the boat. Over they go. The people were cluey. They run from one side of the lake all the way around to the other to meet Jesus and the disciples. The disciples, as they're heading towards the shore, go, are you kidding me? Ay, ay, ay. Jesus says, oh, oh. And the Scripture actually says, Jesus is moved with compassion. The Greek for moved with compassion is actually, it uses the word bowels, like in the depths. Something physical moves in you when you are moved by compassion. Jesus sees all these people, thousands of moved inside. Proximity births compassion. And out of compassion, it leads to love. Jesus says, all right, let's spend some time teaching them. So Jesus spends time teaching them. End of a long day teaching. All right, let's feed them. So I would say, let's send them home. Jesus says, no, let's feed them. Let's feed them. Moved by compassion leads to love. Proximity in the right heart gives birth to compassion and compassion love. And that's what we see playing out in the New Testament church here. 
The early church was relatively new. They're birthing a new movement. Jim's having dinner with Jerry. Sue's having coffee with Cynthia. And as they spend all this time together, they're getting to know each other's needs. Cynthia's husband lost his job. Jerry's sister just can't find a house big enough for the four of them. Jim's retirement fund went belly up. Sue's daughter is gravely ill. And as they sit over coffee together and they're listening around communion in the temple courts, as they're having meals together, they're leaning in and they're listening to each other and they're picking up the needs of the church community. They're picking up the needs of each other. Proximity is birthing compassion. And what we see birthing out of Acts chapter two is compassion is birthing love. As I reflect on my own journey, I've seen that happen again and again and again for me. Where people who are in proximity to me birthed compassion for me and led to love for me. I recall Gordon, an older retired gentleman, used to own the farm that I've talked about. And as we'd take long drives up, three hours to Lithgow, we'd just chat and he'd get to know me. And then one day he handed me the key and he says, anytime you just come up. And he saw in me a need to go and spend time by myself on the farm to refresh my soul for life and ministry. Proximity, birth, compassion, compassion, birth, love. I remember Daryl, he was a guy about my own age. He owned three motorbikes. He knew I was going up the farm and over unhurried time over coffee, he says, I know what you're going up there for. Do you wanna borrow my motorbikes? You can go up, take them up there anytime you need. That might seem very practical, but that kind of thing actually does something in me. And suddenly proximity birth compassion, compassion birth love. I remember Pete, a mate of mine in Sydney used to invite me out for coffee and breakfast about every three or four weeks. We'd just sit and chat over unharried time and he'd just, he'd just lean in and he'd wanna know what's happening. And out of that for Pete would birth some kind of love action. He'd always have something up his sleeve. I remember Ted, who was a school principal of a Christian school, would get chatting after church and he'd just, just listen and engage and then he'd invite me to his school, would go into his office and he'd have someone prepare all those little funeral serve, uh, sandwiches and they'd be there ready to go. And for an hour, we'd just talk about leadership as he sewed into me because proximity birth compassion, compassion birth love. And it's amazing how fear diminishes when you have people in your world who are in the valley with you. Maybe not all the time. They're not trying to solve your problems. They're trying to wrench you out of it. They're just trying to love you in the midst of it the best way that they know how. And the thing about community is that when each of us play our part, whether small or large, it's like a wrecking ball on fear. I see it all the time. I see it in She Connects when they have their gatherings of mahjong or their walks or their she reads and people come together and it's a wrecking ball on fear. I see it in our connect groups when our leaders talk about what's happening in their connect groups. It's a wrecking ball on fear as people do life together. I see it with our mainly music team that, that serve and love on parents in here and our lambs that play it out there. They're just saying, I'm gonna wreck fear because when people are in community and in proximity, it can birth love. 
Don't get me wrong. There will always be fear. We can't escape it. In fact, sometimes when we hear fear knocking, we quickly get up and we open the door and we invite fear in. Take a seat. In fact, we sometimes invite fear around our dinner table and we dine with fear. But yeah, the beautiful thing I see in the New Testament church and the beautiful thing I see here at LifePoint is that when we are doing community well, when all of us, all 300 of us, another 100 people tonight, when all 400 of us are choosing one meal a week to give us a gift in unhurried time to someone, fear is shown the door. It's not, it's not earth shattering. It's not something you haven't heard before. It's a gentle encouragement. Days and weeks and months and years go by very quickly. And each week you have the choice and the gift to transform someone's week. Which meal will it be? Which unharried moment will you give as you lean in and go in the canyon with someone around you who just needs to know they're not alone. So Father, thank you so much for the New Testament church that told us how to do it well. Thank you that you didn't leave us by ourselves to figure it out, but you gave us an example. You gave us leaders who went before us to show us the way. Thank you for the beautiful people in this church that are already doing it. Sharing unhurried moments together, listening, leaning in, sharing the gift of compassion. I pray that the moments that are coming this week and the months to come, you might anoint them. That in Jesus' name, fear might go and instead be replaced with hope, courage, Enjoy. I pray because we believe in Jesus' name. Amen.